in litigation, there is a tendency towards winners and losers. The beauty of mediation is that you get a say in what that final outcome is. Hello, I'm Dave Gans, MGMA Senior Fellow for Industry Affairs, welcoming you to the executive session, a monthly discussion with a healthcare leader on the critical issue of interest to medical practice executives. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Don Pleston, F-A-C-H-E, MBA, J.D., Esquire. Don is a consultant for the MGMA Medical Consulting Service and is licensed to practice law in the state of Minnesota and has trained in alternative dispute resolution as a mediator and arbitrator. Her education combined with her broad experience in operations and finance and leadership and public relations that she gained through a 17-year career as a healthcare administrator has given her a unique skill set as an administrator, consultant, and as an attorney at law. Dawn, can you introduce yourself, describe your responsibilities and your background, and also your experience in leading your clients in alternative dispute resolution? Yeah, thanks so much for that, Dave. Um, as you mentioned, my name is Dawn Plested, and I have had the joy of having a very rewarding career spanning many years, and I've had the opportunity to work in a variety of uh, healthcare settings from small private practice all the way up to very large complex health systems. I've worked with FQHCs, I've worked in ACOs, and I've just had an opportunity to see the industry from a lot of different angles. And it's, it's been really rewarding. I've had the opportunity in that career to have some great educational experiences, both getting my MBA and then most recently my JD with the specialty in health law, mediation, and arbitration. So I'm really excited for our topic today. You know, Don, your combination, your management expertise and being licensed to practice law provides a unique perspective in the legal issues that medical groups face. Also, you have a good understanding of the high cost of litigation and the ways that a practice can reduce its legal costs. At one time or another, every medical group needs to resolve a dispute or lawsuit, whether it is a malpractice claim, a disagreement on payment with insurance payer, contract dispute, human resources complaint, or some other problem. The cost of litigation can be considerable. You've devoted a significant portion of your legal practice to alternative conflict resolution and helping clients resolve differences in a more cost-effective manner. I'd like to dive deeper in this area during our later discussion, but can you provide our listeners with just a brief overview of what are the alternatives a practice can employ to avoid going to court to resolve a dispute? Absolutely. Uh, you know, as you touched on, litigation is really generally something people seek to avoid. It's expensive, it's time-consuming, it's emotionally draining, it's and really, it's pretty unpredictable. You know, until a judge or jury decides a case, you can never really be certain of an outcome. And, you know, given that litigation is so inefficient for most of us, alternative dispute resolution, which includes arbitration and mediation, has become increasingly popular. Um, it's, it's really an opportunity to resolve the issue at a much lower cost and in a way that's a lot more satisfactory for the parties participating in that. It is a much more participatory process in general than litigation tends to be. You know, most practice executives are fairly experienced negotiators and are very familiar with the processes, procedures that lead to a positive negotiation. 
At the same time, they may not be as familiar with the concepts of mediation and arbitration that you described and how these two processes can be used to solve a conflict. Can you give our listeners your insights into arbitration and mediation and how do these two methods of conflict resolution differ? So both options are going to help you solve a legal issue outside of the traditional court process, but they really use two different methods to get you from A to Z. So mediation, it's typically a non-binding process. It's generally conducted with a single mediator um, who doesn't judge the case, but really focuses on facilitating discussion and then eventual resolution of the dispute. Uh, by contrast, arbitration is a typically binding process that replaces the full trial process with multiple, often three, chosen people to serve as judges in your case and whose judgment is binding on all parties. You know, you mentioned about having uh, potentially three chosen individuals. Can you describe a little bit more on how you would choose the arbitrators? Yeah, a really popular method of doing that would be for each party to agree in advance uh, to the terms of the arbitration. And each party typically has an opportunity to choose an arbitrator themselves or an arbitrator of their choice, with the third arbitrator being someone that they must agree upon. And that can be drawn from a particular pool or association of arbitrators that is approved by both parties. You know, when opposing parties fail to negotiate a solution, my experience has been so often I hear that they're moving directly to litigation and may not really realize that the mediation arbitration are alternatives that could resolve their dispute at much less cost than a court trial. Also, you know, I, I know especially internally to if the problem is within an organization or between a parent, an organization such as a hospital where the, your physicians have privileges, mediation arbitration can result in par, far less acrimony between the parties. Mm -hmm. And of course, this can be very significant and cause long-term problems to the organization, even if they win their uh, the dispute. Uh, Don, can you describe how a practice leader can progress through different resolution strategies? I can envision first attempting to negotiate a solution, failing that attempt mediation, and lastly moving to binding arbitration to avoid court litigation. Now, is this correct? Uh, and if it does occur, do you have suggestions how to best move this resolution along progressive lines and not have to move too fast to directly to litigation with its high costs? Yeah, I, I think you summed it up really well. Mediation is a really a great point to start. It, as I mentioned earlier, tends to be non-binding. It's very participatory between the two parties. So it really, it focuses on bringing both sides to the table and working on an agreement or a settlement that both people can feel good about. I, I think in litigation, there is a tendency towards winners and losers. That's certainly the view of it from the outside looking in. And, and that can often be the feel of it when you're participating in litigation. The, the beauty of mediation is that you get a say in what that final outcome is, and you're an equal player at the table, regardless of sort of your status or power or the position or knowledge that you bring to the table. The other advantage of having a really knowledgeable mediator is they can help provide some insight into what happens throughout the industry. 
And that can be very helpful for somebody who is perhaps not an industry insider, a healthcare aficionado with a, a huge variety of healthcare expertise. They can feel a little overwhelmed coming to the table and trying to understand what's going on and what is appropriate, what is to be expected. So a really skilled mediator can help bridge that gap and provide clarity to both sides and at the same time can help diffuse some of the emotion that can come from the other side of the table and really just in general facilitate an open conversation. So mediation with all of that said is a is a great place to start. I think from there you you probably want to look at something along the lines of an arbitration clause or, or some sort of arbitration contract. Now, if you want to start with mediation, I, I wanna go back to that for a moment. If you want to mediate a dispute, the ideal process for that is entering into a, a pre-mediation contract. And the contract should really be quite simple, should include the following. It should be confidential and non-binding, the mediation. The parties should agree who would conduct the mediation and how the mediator will be paid. The cost is typically split between two parties. The parties should agree on the length of mediation. Most mediation is scheduled for either a half day or a full day, although if it's a very complex topic, it can go longer than that, certainly. And most importantly, the parties should agree to mediate in good faith until either party reasonably determines that it's you know, fairly pointless to continue. If they can't reach an agreement, the mediation will result in what's known as an impasse. And at that point, you can really go to the next level, which, as I mentioned, is arbitration. Now, the, the difference between mediation and arbitration primarily is the binding nature of arbitration. So arbitration is essentially entering into another contract and the results of an arbitration are final. And so there's a little less control, a, a lot less control than a mediation. And arbitration has much more rigidity in its final judgment, but it is it does differ in litigation in that it can be very specialized you have more control in choosing who your arbitrators are. It's typically a panel, and they typically have industry knowledge and expertise that really help facilitate that process as well. You, know, you mentioned how both mediation and arbitration employ a third party. In other words, ideally, mediation is a neutral third party. So can you just go into a little bit more detail? How, can, how do you choose a mediator who can work with all parties? Also, you describe in a three-party arbitration that you typically have a arbitrator on behalf of the practice, the other party has an arbitrator, and the two arbitrators choose a third that's acceptable to everyone. So how do you choose an arbitrator that can best represent the interests and with the per individual that you choose as a mediator, would that also be typically one of the arbitrators or should a practice try to find an arbitrator that can be more representative of its interests? Those are great questions. So, so typically speaking, with arbitration, it is often three arbitrators who comprise that panel, but it is not always, and it certainly isn't written in stone that it needs to be. That's just a very fair and balanced approach because it provides a neutral third as well as one arbitrator who is in fact chosen by each side. So that, that certainly gives a feeling of balance to the panel. 
you asked how to choose these arbitrators. There's some really great associations out there. The American Health Law Association, for example, has a specifically health law attorneys. There are many health law arbitrators and mediators. There are many sites out there to help you choose mediators and arbitrators. There are a number of these neutrals who operate in the healthcare field, although I do tend to see more mediators and arbitrators casting a broader net. It can be difficult to find somebody who's specialized. It certainly can be difficult from a practice management perspective to find somebody who's really very familiar with practice management. A lot of mediators and arbitrators have extensive experience with uh, the government and with payers who tend to use mediators and arbitrators rather liberally. So MGMA has a mediator and an arbitrator uh, on their consulting group, which is myself. And so there are, it is possible to find a neutral third party who really can reflect the needs of the individual practice or provider. But you do have to do a little due diligence to find somebody who's going to have enough industry knowledge to really give you that good perspective that you're looking for. The other question that you asked is, would the individual who served as a mediator then in turn serve as an arbitrator? The shorter answer to that is no. You, you don't typically move from mediation into arbitration, although it's possible and, and really within mediation and arbitration, there is a lot of flexibility, which is one of the advantages of alternative dispute resolution. And it's as, it simply is a contract. So if both parties were comfortable with that and chose that, that would be a possible solution. But you typically see fresh neutrals or, or new individuals operating that. You know, you mentioned about how many payers put a mandatory arbitration clause in a contract. And I've actually, and I've seen similar clauses in real estate contracts and even some human resources contracts. Uh, so what should a practice leader do when negotiating a contract with a payer or some other organization to ensure that they're properly represented in any arbitration? Also, what are some of the areas of concerns that you have when you review a contract that includes mandatory arbitration? I think the first and foremost thing that practice managers, providers, health systems, frankly, anyone entering into a contract really needs to understand about a mediation or arbitration clause is a number one, that it exists. Um, understand what it means within your contract and what that gives you in terms of paths forward. I hesitate to say it quite like this, but mediation is almost always a, a positive thing. It's non-binding and it's an opportunity for both parties to reach consensus with the help of a third party. There's very little not to recommend having that in your contract. It's, it's something that I would highly recommend when entering into any contract at any point. Again, it's not much, it's non-binding and it really allows a lot of control for the individual. As far as what, what you see far more commonly, however, is the mandatory arbitration clause. And I am an arbitrator, I am a fan of arbitration. I think that there are a lot of positives to arbitration. But I do think one needs to proceed a little more cautiously when you see an arbitration clause. 
I think it's very important to advocate for your ability to choose one arbitrator. Often the choice of arbitration or, or the choice of the neutrals is left to the party who devises the contract. And I think it's very important that some, some of that ha is made a little more balanced or fair. I think things around payment, who is paying and how it will be conducted, where it will occur, and what your, your recourse is in the event that you are unhappy with arbitration. I think very important to remember is often there isn't recourse. Arbitration is, as I said, binding. In, and therefore, if you have entered into arbitration, you're unhappy with the results of arbitration, there often isn't a, a fallback position. So arbitration clauses should be carefully reviewed. I would, I would absolutely recommend uh, legal counsel to review that and kind of go through your individual options on each individual contract. Now, how often do you see what would, I would use term boilerplate contracts from a payer who, you know, because the payer will say everybody signs this identical contract. How often can you get these clauses adjusted? You know, that, that is the million dollar question. I mean, you see, you see arbitration clauses all the time and, and they are stuck in contracts all the time. Payers will often present contracts and say, everyone signs these, these are standard. We don't make adjustments. I can tell you payers make adjustments to their contracts all the time and there is negotiation available on the individual payer contracts. So I, I dismiss that out of hand. Now, arbitration clauses can be tougher. I, you know, that can be a standard practice for any payer or any system that we are simply going to go down this arbitration path. But again, you know, it really depends on each individual contract and you can certainly ensure that the arbitration clause is something that you can both live with. I don't think arbitration is anything to be scared of, or I don't think that there should be an attempt to necessarily strike arbitration. I think you want to make sure that should arbitration be the desired path forward, you find a way to make sure it's something that you're comfortable with, as well as the party that you're working with is comfortable with. Well, mediation and arbitration are usually less expensive than a court trial. They're not inexpensive. So what can you suggest a practice leader do to minimize the cost of conflict resolution? One of the things that I think is really great about mediation and arbitration is, as you said, they can be less expensive. And, and, and typically, one of the ways that you can really control those costs is around timing. So for one thing, litigation tends to be drawn out in terms of just the length of time it takes to work through a process. Let's take an HR dispute and a, a termination. It can be months of letters back and forth between the attorneys before you even really get into settlement negotiations and or discussion around trial preparation, depositions, and, and so forth. Now, that's costly in terms of emotional and mental headspace for a practice or an administrator or a provider. It's costly in terms of just pure time outside of the day-to-day -day work and operations. Of course, it's costly from, uh, you know, paying your lawyers. And so there, there's a number of costs just associated with getting ready for trial. And let's not, you know, sugarcoat it. 
I believe it's something like 95% of cases settled before ever going to litigation. So, you know, you're not even talking about the cost of actually ending up in court, which can be astronomical. And, and those settlements can really be just so very unpredictable. Mediation gives you a lot more control over that. It tends to speed up that time. You can get into mediation or arbitration much more quickly than, than you can bring something to, to court. And the timing or the amount of time you're actually in mediation, so mediation or arbitration, and let's take mediation as an example. It's typically done in half day or one day segments. The goal is to really put your interests on the table and, and come to some sort of consensus in that time frame. That, that in, in and of itself is a very condensed period of time. You will know in advance what the cost of your mediator or arbitrator is, and you can walk in, you know, essentially knowing what it is that you're willing to settle for, what you're willing to compromise on. And finally, I have seen over and over and over again, as I've done this, that so many people have interests and concerns that are non-financial. Our court system, our litigation system in this country is, is very much driven by the bottom line, by dollars and cents. And there's a reason for that. That's, um, it's very difficult to calculate uh, how to compensate somebody for a, a medical error, let's just say, or, or an emotional cost of, of the death of a loved one. With that, courts do their best and put, put a dollar figure on it and try to send everybody home. But what you end up doing is not really satisfying the underlying interests. I, I don't think that there's any number of dollars in the world that would compensate somebody uh, for a loss of a limb or a loss of a loved one. And yet uh, there does need to be resolution when there's been error. All of that to say you can certainly save a lot of money if you can actually get at what the interest is of the other party. Sometimes it's as simple as an apology and or an acknowledgement of responsibility. That can mean a lot more to somebody who's been harmed in, an, in a situation in a hospital or healthcare system. And from a financial perspective, it's obviously less burdensome and less costly. You know, you talk about the cost. I know there's a popular belief that court litigation favors the party with the deepest pockets. And I know of many examples of businesses who have a deliberate strategy to delay judgments, waiting for the other party to drop the case, uh, or just because, if just hoping to cause the other party to, to devote its considerable resources to, to its own legal counsel and therefore put itself at a disadvantage. Well, in the context of arbitration and mediation, what happens if there's a significant disparity in the bargaining position of the two sides? Can the side with more time or money refuse to participate in a form of legal of dispute resolution? Also, what happens if one side refuses to follow the findings of the mediator or arbitration panel? So, great questions. I think that the perspective of court litigation favoring the party with the deepest pockets is out there. And I think there's some validity to that. And 
that's one of the wonderful things about mediation and arbitration is it can really level the playing field. And that comes back to the value of having somebody who's trained in mediation and arbitration who really understands the industry. Judges and juries don't. It, that's not their profession. That's not uh, something that they've worked in. So typically speaking, they're coming at it from a layperson's perspective, which means that they're heavily dependent on expert testimony, expert witnesses, um, and are inclined to give some credence to that. By the same token, you know, the appeals to the emotion can be very strong in those environments. And I think that's one of the, the great leveling and reducing of the disparity in that bargaining position is having that neutral who can help balance the playing field. And that's probably my favorite part of alternative dispute resolution is how much more even that bargaining table becomes for both people and how they can both really come to the table. Now you asked, can one side refuse to participate? Well, in, in the case of mediation, it is something that if you've entered into a pre-mediation contract, you both contracted to mediate, um, you're both essentially agreeing to it. So that's a contract and a contract requires, you know, if you breach that contract, it is no different than any other contract breach, which means that uh, opposing side has a, a legitimate uh, claim against you if you breach contract. So the short answer to that is, and, and certainly the same is true with an arbitration clause. If you have signed and agreed to arbitration, you are contracted to participate. Both mediation and arbitration operate under the perspective that both parties will be performing in good faith. They will be negotiating in good faith. They will come to the table and intend to seek resolution. You know, that doesn't always happen. Uh, sometimes people absolutely come to the table and you can tell that they've, they're they going through the motions, uh, but they have every intent of not settling and not reaching agreement. And you see that in family law, you see that in, in healthcare, you see that all over the place in, in alternative dispute resolution. So it's certainly possible that people can come to the table and not operate in good faith, but the expectation is that if they're going to engage in alternative dispute resolution, they will be negotiating in good faith. As far as what happens if one side refuses to follow the findings, in the case of mediation, it is an agreement of both parties. And what occurs at the end of mediation is you have some options. It's, it's non-binding. So if you go to mediation and you say, you know what, I don't like it. I don't like what we discussed. I don't agree with what we're doing. I'm, I'm out. You have the right and the ability to say that. You always have litigation as a fallback. So mediation is a great interim step. Should you come to agreement in mediation, that mediation discussion really gets drafted into a contract. Uh, it gets memorialized, summarized, and sent to both parties, and both parties essentially enter into a new contract, which obligates them to the agreement that they made in mediation. But they don't, they don't have to reach agreement in mediation. In arbitration, the very nature of arbitration is binding. So you are essentially agreeing that the third party, the arbitrators, are going to reach a finding. You are not participating per se 
in that final agreement, the arbitrator will make that final decision and you are obligated to it. It is contractually obligatory. You must perform as specified by the arbitrators. That is what you've agreed to in arbitration. You know, we've talked so far about it, focusing our attention on reducing the cost of litigation through alternative means of conflict resolution. Uh, maybe as we're concluding our discussion, we could also discuss other options a practice has to reduce its legal expenses. Can you provide some your suggestions on what a practice leader can do to reduce these costs? Yeah, you know, I think that's a really interesting uh, question <laughs> as an attorney who's in healthcare law. You know, I actually think the old adage, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of care. I think if you can engage legal counsel upfront and early on in your business ventures and practice, you're going to avoid a lot of pitfalls that can become very costly and very expensive down the road. Uh, for example, engage upfront in a compliance and risk management program. Get your ducks in a row, get your compliance manual and your training of your staff in place early on. It saves a world of hurt down the road and a, a world of cost down the road. So, um, of course, the attorney in the room says hire us sooner, but <laughs> I, I do believe that that really is uh, the most effective method of reducing your long-term legal expenses. Large uh, healthcare organizations, health systems, have standing contracts with large legal firms who have a plethora of skills, but a small practice typically does not have those same relationships can you give our listeners some suggestions on how to identify legal counsel and your thoughts on how can they identify the appropriate legal counsel to have for the practice early on so they can avoid some of these costs by early, conf early conflict resolution or having good advice from a legal perspective so the practice doesn't have a problem? Yeah. You know, I think um, that's a great question as well. I, I really think you want somebody who specializes in health law, who has an understanding of the industry. I think it's great that I've had an opportunity to work with MGMA. I, I think uh, the work that they do amongst practices, big and small across the country, has been incredibly impressive. And I think it's exciting that they have in-house a counsel or, or counsel uh, in their consulting realm that they can provide to, to clients. Because I, I think for smaller practices, you don't need somebody on retainer necessarily, and you certainly don't need general counsel in-house. But I do think it's important to know where to go. And so you're going to want to have a handful of attorneys that you can call on. And I think having somebody that you can reach out to who has healthcare knowledge and expertise, who has that practice perspective is really key. And there are, of course, attorneys in every state who are very skilled at that. And I think the fact that MGMA has that offering through their consulting branch is really important as well. But, you know, Don, there's so much we could discuss today, but you have a very busy schedule and I know your time is limited. So is there anything else you'd like to add to today's discussion? 
You know, I'll just say this. I, I really am a true believer in alternative dispute resolution. I think the opportunities within that field are limitless. I think it has an opportunity to really transform some relationships that we see in healthcare um, between the different parties who, who interact. Healthcare is by its very nature so personal and you're touching people at such a profoundly stressful, uh, scary time in their life. Tensions are almost always high and I just think that the relational aspect of alternative dispute resolution really opens up a, a really great avenue to be a, a more cost effective, but also gentler and more compelling way forward for people to resolve some of these issues that inevitably come up in these situations. And I've had a lot of fun talking about it today. So I really appreciate the opportunity to speak with you on it. Well, thank you also for your time and your excellent insights. I know our listeners will find our discussion most interesting. Well, thank you.